<laughs> excited to be here. I, um, yeah, this is, this is the season finale, mm-hmm. uh, season finale for the show. And, uh, certainly the last time we'll talk about house of the dragon on hot pot express season one. Stanford, I got to tell you, um, I have a lot of thoughts, a lot of thoughts. So I, do, I, so do I. Do I think we should, we should start from the beginning. I okay. think, you know, similar to, uh, I don't want to bring in The Walking Dead. I think they said, on the, you know, the show went on so long. And then he said, okay, anytime a character's going to die, you knew because they started the episode, like, make you sympathize with them. So now going to the beginning of the episode with my man, you know, young, young Luceris, being concerned. <laughs> I'm not ready. Oh, man, I can't take over. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was giving off big red shirt energy, right? Big red shirt energy. You know, you know what makes me feel good and gets my attention? What? A good old-fashioned abortion or miscarriage. And I got to tell you, it, it seems like the show always goes right for that card in the deck up front. And I was talking to someone who I hold in the highest regard uh, who reviews this kind of thing as well. And, you know, they felt that it was it's gotten to the point of being gratuitous to go to that type of imagery to shock and awe the viewer in the absence of good writing and action. And I'm inclined to agree. So I'll say this, you know, we, we both read the history, so it's in, it's in it. I was just, I was responding to just how, how much is depicted. It's very depicted on screen. And my lady wife was like, Oh, is that, is that that not in the books? I was like, no, it is. I just didn't expect, I don't know how many times I can count watching a stillbirth. And you know, we said it jokingly, a good old, we respect, we understand that people go through these issues and it might be like, you know, it might be hard for folks to see on television, especially for people that may have experienced, I have not. But I was very, I don't think I've ever seen a stillbirth on television. I was not expecting to see one tonight. And it showed a lot of emotions. I think, you know, similar to, if we go back, maybe it was episode six when Rhaenyra's in the small council, she's actually saying good things, but then you can see like her nipples were getting wet because she was like lactating because she was like a mother. And this is another moment where it's showing, okay, this is something that women go through that men don't have to go through while men are going through the war table. So I think that was also part of the, of the scene. And if you go to the end, at the end, you know, I watched the subtitles, it kind of, I think one they put was like revenge music or something like that at the end, yeah. when she like makes that face turn around. And at, at one point you're thinking, is she, yeah, it's like, oh, are she going to blame them? Yeah, is she going to blame them for the stillbirth? I thought we were going to get like revenge then, but no, it was more like sadness and like being contrite. And then, but what do you think of the war council that was going on as she was in the battle, the birthing bed? What I will say is this, Rainey's commentary about Rhaenyra, not to get your continents confused, (laughs) her wits about her, I thought was very apt, right? Um, Interesting in the sense that we know about the Song of Ice and Fire, and that's kind of been an underlying theme of this season. If nothing else, to give credence to the madness that is the Targaryen dynasty, right? We're moving towards something uh, off screen, something that will mop up, you know, several hundred years from now, right? What I did think of the War Council, aside from the fact that I have got to get that table for my living room, uh, is just the fact that it's it was, it seemed like it was a lot of uneasiness among the soldiers and people there. What I did appreciate was that they did kind of take us through the questioning that I that I had inside around the Kingsguard. What happens with the Kingsguard, right, when there are two kings, or in this case, a king or a queen, right? Now, we know in High Valyrian, 
the prince is a gender neutral term, right? The prince who was promised. But what I would say is I'm glad that they explained and walked us through that, you know, early in the conversation at the war council. What did you think? I thought it was good. And I thought it was a, you know, it wasn't exposition, but they told us what their military resources was and then the more natural flow of the conversation. And those are going to be important things when are we going to, I mean, basically the Greens have decided to declare the war. Are we ourselves going to declare war? I think I was, I guess it made sense that Damon was so, was chopping at the bit. Mm-hmm. And when, I also think it was made sense, you know, I'm flash forwarding a little bit, you know, he's, he's singing in the High Valyrian and he's going to visit the old dragons. Or we got some, we got some riderless dragons up here and we're going to go talk to them too. We're about to get ready. And I liked how her council grew over the episode. It's yeah. more showing where when we came to the Green Council episode, you know, I'm no longer going to read showrunner interviews or watch behind the scene, like after the episodes. But as I was getting up, they said, oh, we consider episodes nine and 10, like sister episodes, they're mirrors, the Green Council and the Black Council. Yeah. And we kind of saw the difference. The Green Council had their plan set up of what they're going to do to usurp the throne. And it's like, oh, you guys are traitors. And this episode, I'm kind of like, you know, you guys probably should have been... Th- People don't have standing armies in this world, but mm-hmm. you probably should have been maybe building up your, your city watch really, really big <laughs> the last yeah. couple of years in preparation. Maybe you thought they didn't have the guts so to actually usurp and, cr- and take your throne, but you sh- maybe you should have had more soldiers on, on hand. Well, remember, right, what, what I would say is this. I, I, I get your perspective, right? And what was interesting to me as in terms of the layout of the episode was when I saw the level of depth we were getting into the political conversation, do we have the support of this house versus that? That was a long scene. It was probably upward of six minutes, which is an eternity. And in sitting through it, I knew then this was, this episode essentially was going to be what I projected last week, what I predicted rather, that it'd be a table setting episode. And I was right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and we saw that quite literally at the table <laughs> of the war council, right? So they were very direct in how they did that. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I hear what you're saying about preparation, right? One could argue, how could you not see this coming? What I do want to represent us to, and this is part of the issue, which we'll get into later about the time skips and how, it dis- how it's too disorienting to recoup, right? Is that what we're, what's missing for us as viewers is the understanding and, and essentially the presence to remember that they're not two days out from dinner with her father. So, so at dinner with her father, they all raised the toast and what they, what they thought buried enmities on the spot. Very and true. so to come back and have, oh, actually, in the 48 hours you've been gone, uh, Aegon was crowned king, your father's dead, and your aunt was taken, held prisoner in her quarters and made to either swear fealty or leave. And she had a chance to solve this before it started and opted out and came to warn you instead. So it is a lot to absorb. Let's, let's get to the opting out. Cause yeah, she there's says, a lot that happened in 24 in 48 hours. So I get yeah. just to kind of end my thought. I understand. Uh, team, we'll call it team black, right? 
Mm-hmm. But I understand Team Black's um, essential, essentially position of being behind the eight ball in this, no pun intended, right? I fully understand that. What I don't understand is what Team Green's – I guess what took Team Green so long to send terms to Team Black, right? Now, granted, they didn't wait too long, but they had already been working on it for some time underneath Allison's nose. So I did think that the timing was strange. But but you wanted to get to – I cut you off. You wanted to get yeah, yeah. to – I think – I want to get to Rainey's who's saying, you know, it wasn't my war to start. And I thought that was very interesting lines. And I, I, you know, I wrestled a lot with last week, and I think ultimately she's right that it wasn't her war to start. She could have probably maybe finished her anyway. Yeah. You know, if you start as a war, those can last for ages, bloody, or they can be resolved pretty quickly. And she didn't feel that's like it's such an important decision to the realm that she felt it wasn't in her place to kind of start that. Do you do you agree? No. <laughs> I, right. I was moved by it. I was moved a little bit. I wasn't moved at all. Um, I thought Damon's assessment was the most pragmatic. Okay, so you were held prisoner, which is an act of war, by the way. <laughs> you were held prisoner. Then you were, you they attempted to coerce you into swearing fealty under penalties which were not articulated. So we had to assume it would have been death. Mm-hmm. She escapes, escapes, slaps, slash breaks away, but really kind of, well, she escapes, yeah, because the Kingsguard came to save her, right? One of the randos. I'll get to that later. And then destroys, <laughs> destroys the where ceremony in the Sept with her dragon, kills several dozen small folk. We talked about that last week. And you like how she skipped that detail? Which, which is she- also <laughs> Yeah, right. I love how she skips that detail in, in the rundown. Oh, yeah, the Greens did all this. How did you get? Oh, I just got on my dragon and left. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll catch you later. Yeah, I, I, and left like I forgot the milk, right? So, so her escape was an act of war, right, on both sides. They knew she was going to warn Rhaenyra. Now, why they didn't pursue her in the moment, I don't know. Okay. It was chaotic. It was chaotic. Yeah, but not that chaotic. Um, remember, they were above the dragon pit, so they could very easily just go on. <laughs> go go on, hold on, let me go downstairs and touch my cab. Okay, I'll see you in a bit. Let me go get the vet, right? So, so for her to come back and say, after all that, it wasn't my war to start, didn't do anything for me. One, yeah. I think Damon's response was accurate, and two, she already started the war anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, I liked it. Th- this isn't really a conversation. Yeah, I was I was so torn on Damon this episode because I think everything he said was right. His plans at the war tables were correct. What he wanted, who he wanted to send ravens to, how he wanted to use the dragons. All right, we have these unclaimed resources here next to us. We got to claim them and use them. Was all great assessments, but at the same time, he's undercutting the queen at the council. Right, you can't do that, and you know doesn't he does some domestic violence, bro, which is also not cool. Yeah, genuinely, genuinely curious, right? So, when the queen says leave the room, do the king's guard leave too? Because I feel like they're just kind of there. Like, think of them like old slavery handmaidens and like butlers. Like, they're always just kind of in the corner and they forget they're there. Like, is the king's guard watching Damon yoke up the queen? 
right? I can't imagine they they were. I think when you say everyone leaves, but you want your husband to stay, then the Kingsguard leaves. But it's like everyone leaves, but it's like one important guy from a house. You at least keep one Kingsguard person there. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. That's so that makes cool. sense. Um, yeah, I tell you, Damon pulling Ray on Rhaenyra um, as her uncle it kind of choking her up. I thought it was an interesting scene. It kind of showed, it showed a side of her that I thought was countercultural to what we've been seeing. I mean, this, this, these last two episodes, she's come across as a mother figure. And it's not that you can't be a mother figure and a leader, but rather her priority has traditionally been fulfilling her duty. The last two episodes, it's been very much about just like being like a mother, right? Which I get. What concerns me though is when Damon chokes her, she doesn't fight back or respond and then doesn't say anything about it. And that for me was a strange reaction or lack thereof and, and went against what we've been seeing from her this entire time. She's always yeah. never been afraid of her own. I mean, it kind of highlights the, oh, maybe they were right to be skeptical that you should marry Damon. Even though she's, yeah. she I loves mean, him, she needs him, she, she wants him. Which to, be, which, to be fair, he's grieving too. His brother is dead. Right? His brother's yeah. And his wife miscarried the, 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 the day before, right? There are things happening inside of him, too, that I don't want to overstep. I think Matt Smith is good this episode. I think the challenge was we're not – I don't – I think it's ha- – this is part of my ongoing complaint. It's happening so fast. Nothing's hanging in the air. Like, yes, we went through the funeral scene, right? But we didn't get anything from Damon that I'm affected by any of this. He always seems, like, distant – when things are happening. Like the yeah. only time the reaction from him was his brother. I mean, his wife is wailing in the other room and he's trying to give out like marching orders. He's like, <laughs> you know, which I thought was like a comedic scene. He's like, yeah, listen, you go over here and cover the story. Damon. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was saying, and he's like talking louder. It's like, it's like young over a crying baby. Yeah. Can we just, can we turn the radio up, please? Just, just, just turn that up some more. So like I was yeah. saying. Yeah. And yet. <laughs> yeah. I think he's vindicated at the end of the episode when we see that Aemon, now the Kinslayer, was at Storm's End before their envoy. So Damon's instinct that, hey, we gotta move as fast as possible. And that even is, even while my wife's in the in the birthing room because every second is of the essence and we're behind the eight ball. I think you were smart to say that, hey, this is just right after the dinner where amenity, where like everything seemed to be cool. So Damon's first reaction is he's like grieving and also thinking, they killed my, they killed my brother to do this. Who just thing. with him? This is the first, first thing he thing. said. How did, How did he die? Yeah. No. <laughs> granted. Granted. One, killing him would have been a mercy. And two, that's like paper thin to go on. Like, oh, they killed my brother. Like, bro, you sure your brother's been falling apart for <laughs> for 16 years? Like, are you sure? He did show you that other half of his face. <laughs> maybe, yeah, exactly. Exactly. maybe he wasn't the, I don't know, the Pentagon of Health. No, certainly not. Um, certainly not a paragon of health I agree the the thing that 
I mean, look, I can I can go on and on. Um, Corliss, who disappeared for several episodes. Oh, let's get off gallivanting for adventure. Welcome back. You know, glad you're feeling better. That scene was interesting. That scene was like a loving couple where he's been gone for like six months, but they seem to get back and be cool with each other very quickly for being gone after six years. Hey, I mean, you know, I don't. Six years? That's. I think that's what they suggested. You know, I don't know. No, it could. It couldn't have been. Because no, I think it was because basically Lenore dies oh, yeah. at the funeral scene, and then it up back. I think it's, I don't know. I think he's been gone since that moment. And it's, hey, Amy's a great wife. She's very forgiving. I don't think my wife would forgive forgive me for disappearing for six six years that fast. Just well, going to throw well, that out there. A couple of things. One, there's a lot of shit going on. Two, it's like the Middle Ages slash Middle Earth slash Westeros. So we know there just wasn't a lot of options for her other than to forgive her husband. And three, yeah, I, I think they unnaturally picked up where they left off. Right, it was like you'd be gone for six years. Yeah, they're inside joke to each other. Yeah, just, they start laughing. Just one inside joke. Okay, that's all it takes. Hey, remember? It's, yeah, it's like, hey, remember the time both our kids died? Oh yeah, that was crazy. Anyway, so how was the trip? You know, while she's like rubbing like water on his head. Oh, the stepsons are secure. Let's go to war then. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God, because we're gonna say there's another week of fighting the stepstones that was gonna cancel the show for good. Um, crab feeder part four. <laughs> feeder you know why those crabs are missing in Alaska? They keep fighting the stepstones. Well, well, if I could feed anyone to the crabs, it would be these random dark-haired kids that you forget who they are because of the time skips. They kept showing them, like, okay, are these Rhaenyra's sons or not? I forget because they look nothing like her. and We, we barely see them. They're really, they're really rubbing in the strong element, right? It's like, man, you guys, you guys are handsome, yeah. you know, beautiful. Great actors, you know. Yeah, you're growing, you're growing to be big, strong. But man, you guys do not look like Rhaenyra. Don't they have dye in Westeros? Can't we just do yeah. just a little bit? Yeah. Dye the hair, just a little. And you talk about no effort to conceal anything. They they might as well be adopted. It's also I think <laughs> it's hilarious saying. that they don't even show us the babies that she has with Damon and Rhaenyra too much because then you'd really oh, yeah, miss no, the difference. No, no. That's for a later season. That's, you know, you show a flash of them for for six minutes in episode seven, and then we'll see them again season two, episode nine. Hey, remember that? I mean, they're getting the Rick on Stark treatment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, yeah, so, so you, you know, I I gotta tell you, ran, it, it felt a little random, for one. A lot of it felt a little random. And then I appreciate her kids offering to to help her out. It just didn't seem likely to me that she would send her youngest son in general to Storm's End. But let's have this debate because I was thinking about it. So I yeah. think, and it's tough to keep track of the ages and how the show ages. I think so. The oldest, right? Just series. I believe he's about one in seven. He's about 17. Hey, you're a man grown. I think he's fine to fly his dragon on his own. The, the other one, the one RIP, who's serious, was about 14. And I think Rhaenyra said a smart point, which is like, oh, we have more dragons. And she's like, well, our dragons have never gone to war. And like, both of their dragons are cradle dragons. They were put in the cradle when they were born, they're hatched. So their dragons are basically the same age as their kids, maybe a year younger. Yeah. And then and at the end of the episode, we get that comparison to Vagar, a, what, 200-year-old, 150-year-old dragon yeah. that's been in many battles. There's a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I was thinking like, you know what? It's good to send them as envoys, but I was thinking maybe my instinct would have been to send them together. And I think it's what's it called, you know, in sports terms, you got a scouting report. I think it's okay to send the kids to Winterfell because you're right, Starks well, follow their word. Sending the kids to Storm's End, I think you needed to send someone more important. Yeah, but, but you know what the thing is though, all things considered, and I, I get what you're saying, but you're still hedging under the understanding that they're at war already. Rhaenyra, in that scene that they essentially was a recreation of the scene, you know, 10, 15 years earlier when Rhaenyra got the egg back from Damon, same bridge, same flanking position behind the king's guard and the hand of the king, same everything, yeah. right? Essentially, when they did that and they and they and they went to that space, she told them, I'll give you my answer on the morrow. So we're looking at a period of eight to twelve hours. Nothing's happened yet. Mm-hmm. That's so also there's true. no reason for her to believe that her son would be in danger. Because for one, Storm's End's not going to declare war, right? without picking a side and two they're certainly not going to kill her kids or not grant them safe passage to and from under the framework of someone coming as an emissary and and the lord of storms ed said that initially hey look not in my hall like this is not going to go down like this right so she had no reason to believe that they'd be in danger so i get sending them by themselves okay okay let's let's a little because you brought up this really good scene that was a callback what did you think of the scene? I thought, honestly, when they showed the page that was ripped out, I said, okay, one, Allison does recognize that Masters work really, really hard on those books, and you can't just be ripping out pages willy-nilly. Right. So, you know, I'm not happy at her being a traitor, but I do respect her caring about the handwritten work of that Maester and keeping that page. And second, that's an amazing appeal to emotion. That was, if I was Rhaenyra, that would have made me pause as well. Rhaenyra didn't pause. I don't think Rhaenyra paused for that. I think I think she remembered. I think that she remembered her oath mm-hmm. uh, to her father about protecting the realm, right? And so, I I'm glad that she didn't stick to it. But ultimately, it can be challenging when when you're dealing with what you're dealing with. Because remember, in spite of everything, Rhaenyra is is and always has been concerned with the realm and doing your duty, doing your duty. If her duty is to protect the realm, right? The terms were quite generous, all things considered. I mean, outside of swearing fealty, it's, yeah, you get Dragonstone, you get, you get um, uh, wherever the Valyrians are. I forget the name of the Driftmark. Yeah, you get Driftmark, you get other titles and lands, you get whatever you want, just don't burn this mother effer up right so i get i think those terms were really generous and reasonable too the difference is she'd have to acquiesce her position so Mm -hmm. go back on her oath her father's dying wishes and she'd be taking the high road which is emblematic of democrats ironically right because even in the face of continuous blatant disrespect like somewhat the mantra has always kind of been okay let's just take the high road and do what's everybody Right. So I think it says a lot about her in terms of her self-restraint. She was entertaining that. Right. And I think she would have answered once she had a sense of who her allies were. But she could have very easily in that moment just been like, yeah, you know what? Forget this and burn them up right there on the bridge. I think choosing not to said a lot about her. I think that which I think set us up for a problem later in the episode anyway. 
when she has her quote unquote turn in front of the fireplace? Before we get to the problem, I want a, a book quote that that scene, remind, not that scene, but the next scene when she's telling Damon about the prophecy and realizing he didn't know about it. It reminded me to what Lord Mormont said to Jon Snow. He said, when dead men come hunting in the night, do you think it matters who sits the Iron Throne? Right. right? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Now, now, in this scene, they haven't framed the White Walkers as present, as omnipresent as they were in the original Game of Thrones. But Well, they would not have been seen yet. Exactly. Right. So the thing I that wasn't clear to me, maybe you can you can clean this up for me. In in that scene where we're witnessing domestic violence, uh, <laughs> did did Damon know about the dream or not? The song of ice and fire or not? Because she said, "I didn't tell you," and then he just kind of walked off. But he mentioned dreams, so like, did he know I, or not? I read that he, that he didn't know. I read that that the series did care about dragon dreams and respected the history of dreamers in in Targaryen history and their family tree. But that specific, A Song of Ice and Fire, he did not know about it. Okay. That's that's how I read All it. Right, so what okay. do you think? No, I mean, I, I, that, I could go You're unsure. Oh, yeah, I could go either way. I'm not totally committed to one version or another. I just wanted to get a better sense of, like, what was the situation, right? Because ultimately, it's still not like a bargaining chip. You know, whatever. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But... Um, yeah, I thought the scene was fine. I thought was, I thought the scene recreation was fine. It shows her growing up and kind of understanding that the, that the hand of the king is really just a snake in the grass, right? But I thought it was okay. I thought the scene was okay. Mm-hmm. Now, get it, too. Okay. What did you think about the end of the episode? All right. So, one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast is even though I read the book, I wanted a podcast that would be equally appealing to people who read the books and people who just watch the show and enjoy it. Right? Mm. And I never want to be those, oh, you know, anytime like uh, Harry Potter, any type of those, you know, book becomes like a movie, everyone's like, oh, I hate it when they change this from the book. They did change something from the book, so I want to set the scene. Basically, everything happens. You know, my Lucere shows up. Amen. One eye is already there. He's like, all right, you're going to marry one of my daughters. He's like, I really can't. He's like, all right, I guess I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to go with Aegon the second's offer. He's offering a marriage path. And then, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some, you know, chopping back and forth, but he's like, hey, you're not about the beef inside of my ball. Come on, man. He's a, he's a non-boy. Let him go. Oh, I will say, Rhaenyra told the kids, go as a messenger, not a knight. They changed it as go as a messenger, not a warrior. You didn't need to change. I'm monologuing for a bit. But one of the, in the history, a to the daughters that didn't get picked by Amon says, uh, more or less says, I'm glad I wasn't picked by, by you. I wouldn't want to be married to a cripple. Referring to him having one eye. And that okay. kind of triggered Amon. And that's why he decided to follow the series and reread it as like purposely kill him. Like I'm, I'm big bad. I, I got offended again. My ego's hurt. So I'm going to go do this. The way they did the scene, they made it seem more accidental. Go, go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, look, I think the way it was done in the show was more coherent. Mm, right? Okay, okay. I think it was more coherent. I, I think, yeah, I think it was more coherent. I think it made more sense. I think the challenge is. 
as far as a storytelling, as from a storytelling perspective, you go through the chase scene. I thought it was shot beautifully. Very you know, well done. I like they didn't muddy it with action music, right? Like mm-hmm. when you watch Halloween and things like that, right? I like that they didn't do that. But I'll tell you, and again, it, it's it just I know it's I know there's fidelity to the books, but I think if you're gonna make a TV show, you could you could manage things well. And I think the ending of this show was such a gratuitous apology for Daenerys's fall. It, it was disappointing. I mean, it, if you if you are if you're in the editing room for for this episode and you want to create that suspense for us to get us ready for season two, which comes out X amount of time from now, you had the ending when when uh, Vagar eats the other dragon and kills her youngest son, whose name mm-hmm. is Miscellaneous. We'll call him Red. <laughs> oh, come on. He's miscellaneous, right? R.I.P. Luce. R.I.P. Whatever. I pray to the seven. May the stranger Aemon, guide you. Right. And and Eamon looks down and realizes what's happened. And he's like, holy shit, I went too far. Yeah. You Great know, face I've acting. I have now declared war, right? Amazing face acting. Well, that's all he has. I mean, most of the most of most of the episodes since they cast him as the older Eamon, he just stares at you with like the crimson chin. Like he looks like he could blow bubbles now and later's, right? So I'm like, okay, so I guess that's what passes for acting, just staring at people with like this huge jawline. Whatever, right? I try not to get involved with it. But but what I'm saying is like they had the ending to the episode in that scene. The look of panic, right? The calm after the storm, right? The backdrop. They had the whole nine. You could have ended the season there. And left us wondering, well, what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen when Rhaenyra finds out? But because I feel like the showrunners were so scared to do what they did and to have a repeat of season eight of Game of Thrones, right? They had to show us Rhaenyra getting news what couldn't have been more than 24 hours later, right? Could not have been more than 24 hours later. Now we could have a conversation about how Damon found out. I well, I think there was so close to Storm's End, and you you saw some killer, some person farming said, "Wait, is this dragon caucus in the middle of my farm?" I know, and but I how? Think that's how the notice came. My there. point is like, how would you get word that fast? That's my issue, right? So we'll put it in the Fast and Furious bucket. So, so I get what you're saying. It maybe so, takes a couple of weeks we'll for your sources to find that information out. Some sequence of miscellaneous events, he finds out right away. And he shows her, and they, they turn the music up, and she just has some off camera, right, reaction that we don't see. So, in our minds, we have to fill in the metamorphosis, which is disappointing. And also, after that, uh, then she turns around with this stupid look on her face, and that's the end of the season. Not stupid look. <laughs> Revenge. That was fire was and blood. Stupid, it was I am the blood blood. of the dragon. It, it, it felt like 
it felt like the, the, the showrunners were saying sorry for season eight. This is what I got to say. Here, here. So I'm... the fall makes more sense. She lost two kids within 24 hours and her father. And this is her fall. And in, in the absence of asking her to act, to just have her have some type of shoulder reaction, some shoulder work behind her white wig, and then turn around with like that stupid look on her face. And, and I was like, yeah, I'm done with this show. I got to disagree. I got to disagree strongly. I will say Rhaenyra is very Danny coded, right? I think her very first scene in episode one, when she hops off of, you know, Cyrax, her dragon, you, it's almost, you, you basically, when you see, you only see in the back of her, right? You don't see her face yet. For a second, you go, wait, is that, is that Amelia Clark? She looked very much like Daenerys early you're on. You're talking about the other actor. You're right, Allison. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the first. You're talking about the first Rhaenyra. I really thought, like, you know, I just, I rubbed my eyes until she turned around because it, it looked like Daenerys. And I think, you know, a woman ruler of Westeros that is a dragon rider, it's hard to avoid the Daenerys. You can't avoid the comparison to Daenerys. Storm. I'm not here to avoid the comparisons. What I am here to do is to criticize a lazy apology from the showrunners about not fleshing out Daenerys's fall. I am here to do that. Two things. I don't know if it's a lazy apology. And two, I don't know if it's a fall. War basically has been declared when they do this traitors thing. Then they say term. Then they're sending terms saying, hey, accept these terms or we're going to go, go to war. And then your son is sent as a messenger, a warrior, and it's killed. And I, I, I'm assuming she got the news report of the kill that the news report also says it's believed that Aemon on Vagar killed him. So she's like, okay, this is, they're declaring war. So it's not turning. You think if you're declaring war and killing blood before I even give you my answer, because you said you gave me peace terms. So, you know, yeah. you parlay. What I'm saying and war is, hasn't been declared yet. So she's angry and saying, all right, I'm gonna war's been declared. No more peace is over. You know, it's funny. And this isn't about you, this is about fans of the IP. Okay. Right? So so before I get to that, when I say turn, mm -hmm. I'm referring to her temperament. That's Up fair. until okay. that moment where she lost her second child within 24 hours, she wanted to protect the realm from violence sure the idea of that's the idea of her constipation look is that she no longer is concerned in that space she's now become a grieving mother with a, with a fleet of dragons in her side so essentially look at it from her perspective i got i get it from perspective. her perspective i get it from her perspective but what i'm saying is you wouldn't even have to get that far into it they could have let that simmer for a year or two until season two and given us a response that would have made sense. Show us how they find out. Instead, th the biggest complaint about Game of Thrones from a lot of people was Daenerys' reaction was not fleshed out. People didn't understand how she went from Misa to the tyrant people thought she would be. The people in, mm -hmm. in King's Landing. This was an overcorrection of that. Hey, look, see, let me show you a facial re reaction so you can see the change. And in my, in my opinion, I think it was a gratuitous apology for season eight. That's what okay. I'm saying. I, I understand why she would be upset. That's not my, that's not my gripe. My gripe is that you had a good ending scene for the season and you pushed it forward to say, hey, I'm sorry. 
about season eight. Here, let me show you the moment when she turns into whatever she's going to be in season two. And, and that for me was underscoring the lazy components of the show and the apology and, and the, the apologetic tone of the show. And, and, and what I, what I was saying before about fans of the show, of, of the IP of Westerosi lore is that in many instances, our gut reaction when criticism comes is to lift our shields up and get in a defensive posture. And instead of, instead of giving this show or any piece of it, the keen and watchful eye we apply to other things, the gut reaction is to protect it, which I get because it's like that with Star Wars, right? For me or other things. I think the challenge is in doing so, it allows a lot of lazy writing or in some cases, odd choices to, to slip by unnoticed. And when you're watching or providing a critique for the IP, it's like you're not, you're not looking at it with the kind of eye you look at other things because you want to protect it because you like Westeros. It's like even if you look at last episode, there's a whole lot of whatever happening. You know, two-thirds of the episode are following these twins who we never heard of before. And now they're main characters, right? N new red shirts. And random stuff's happening, but then we get three or four minutes in the child fighting pits. I guess it'll be important in four years. I don't know. But it's like, that, that, like that's what I mean. And so I, I just, I, it kind of makes me wonder, like, is this a good show? Is it genuinely a good show in its own right? Or is it, like basically Lauren Hill eating off the coattails of one album 30 years ago. Right. Like is are we, is is it getting grandfathered acceptance? Like that's my question. It's not a good show. It's a great show. Oh my god. I'm calling the banners and I'm about to defend the showrunners. Here we no. go. Let's, Here let's, we go. Let's break it down. Let's break it down. So okay. I want to start from Vagar killing, you know, who you disrespectfully, you know, rest in peace. What's his name? To young Lysiris, Valerian, and yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, I I had to think about you know, there are a lot of accidents in history that have changed like the course of nations, right? The you know examples of ships, right? Naval fleets being destroyed by storms that would have that could have turned to battle but didn't. Or way way back in the day, you know, what's the battle? There's like the one battle I think Agenpop, Agentote, where like it's super rainy and muddy. So then, even though the army had superior, they had more numbers. They got caught up in the mud, so the army with lesser numbers. I don't know. I'm just talking random stuff in history. But like you understand, weather, acts of God, etc., has changed the course of history. Okay. And has changed the course of battles. So I think I I, I accept you know this scene happening. They have Amon's face acting, and you could end the show there. You could end the the season there. I do think the showrunners, because they do have Damon putting violence against a woman, which is never acceptable. They, I think they think, okay, they need to show them then after this death, con him cons consoling her, right? He comes, he gives her the message and is the hand holding. So I think they feel the need that they, they need. If they're gonna... Two steps. <laughs> it was a short handle. It was a short handle. So um, let's, not, let's not give him the benefit of the doubt here. I'm giving him some con consolation points. Yeah. Consoling points. 
And I think they think they need to do that if they're going to include the, the scene of violence. I do, I agree that you didn't need to show her turnaround face, but I think it served the point, because this was, again, looking from her perspective. The Greens, Team Green has come to and say, hey, here are peace terms. We don't want bloodshed. Before she gives the answer back to peace terms, her son is murdered while he's an envoy. So from her perspective, they declared war after giving me peace terms. Almost like, I mean, you know, oh, what's fairness of war? That's not like a war crime, but that's like, yo, you just broke like norms. Like we parlayed. I haven't given you my, I haven't decided if I'm going to accept or not. And you, now you're the, and you're murdering heir, my heir, one of my heirs. Sheik uh, already conceded that they declared war when they crowned a new king and labeled her a usurper. That's, that's objectively true. I agree. In terms of it turning the enmity and becoming a violence, being, becoming a violent encounter, that happened later. Yes, for sure. But we don't know what she knows. We assume Damon told her that, hey, your son was eaten and so was his dragon. Right? But we don't know. Because it wasn't explained how they got the information. No, this is true. We have to... Now, maybe it's a distinction without a difference. Right? But that scene was rushed. And because it was rushed, we're left with the Mad Queen. Again. <laughs> Again. So the gods flipped their coin. Well... Right? Isn't this more like history rhymes? Like at the end of, we saw a battle for the throne at the end of Game of Thrones season eight. And now we're going to see, I guess, another war, another battle for the throne. So like, well, that's just what happens when there's battles. We don't have a show. Exactly. It's Game of Thrones. It's a, we're fighting for the throne. Well, right. If, if, if you're not fighting for the, it's kind of like House of the Dragon. There's no dragons until episode 10. <laughs> right? <laughs> so whatever, you know, I... I'm going to come out and say it. This was not a good show. Oh, it's a great show. It's, 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 I'd like to hear what's great about it. Similar to how, you know, Corliss and Rainey's can disagree and still love each other. I still love you, bro. Even though I, you're I, wrong. But I, I, don't think my, I don't think my opinion of this show should be a referendum of whether or not you have love for me, brother. I just <laughs> don't understand. I just, there was a lot of random things that are there. And look, it, look, HBO... HBO showrunners are probably putting out fires right now as we, you and I are talking for seasons two and three. So they're probably, they might be addressing these complaints we already have. Okay. With interject, aren't all the complaints gone? Cause now we're going to have very little time skips. So at least we can sit that. with this character. Well, that's true. Well, at I least we're going to see, I think there's going to be like a battle, maybe a couple battles over the throne at least. Right. Well, with that face, we saw her face. That's that. the title, House of the Dragon. This could literally lead us up to the murder of John Aaron. Yeah, you're right. You want to do that if right? you want, or at least lead us up to the Battle of the Trident. So, so we don't know. You know what I mean? Like, we, we don't know. I hear you. I hear you. But what I would say is this, right? I think I think there are moments where there's coherence, where there's continuity of performances, right? the rush into the power vacuum, right? I think it, and there are moments where it had the urgency that good TV has, right? I just think without a Tyrion or a Braun 
or a hound, right? Or any kind of anything that even resembles humor. Yeah, it's missing comedy. It's just a show about people doing fucked up shit to each other for 10 weeks. Well, all right. We're going to add the explicit warning. I like it. Season season finale, let's add the explicit warning to this episode. No, but I'm just, it's just like, all I, it's like within the absence of like witty banter, like you watch it, you watch a show like Succession, right? Yes, they do terrible things, but there's still moments of humor. There's still an understanding that, okay, even villains like to laugh, right? There's, there's still moments of like witty banter. You don't have any of that in this show. It's just for 10 hours watching people do terrible things to each other. And for me, I'm just kind of like, okay, well, what am I watching this for? It's just a mean-spirited show. Like, tune in for your local abortions and miscarriages and and, and child fighting pits. You know, come come for the abortion, stay for the fighting pits, you know? And it's kind of like, okay, why am I watching this show? Yeah. Right, and, and then that insult to injury, the, the rampant time skips try to microwave the connections we had in season one of Game of Thrones. Look, Game of Thrones took roughly what sixteen to twenty hours before it got good. Season one and two were shit. Whoa, I don't whoa, care what whoa. anybody says. This is this is this is intense. We might have no, to bring out the editors. No, but I'm serious. Seasons one and two were not good. Right. And people stuck with it because most of us got onto the show late and people just kept saying, hey, stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. Right. It wasn't until Ned Stark was killed. We're kind of like, oh, this is pretty spicy. Right. Spoiler alert. Right. Oh, this is pretty spicy. But we still were forced to to trounce through the mud to get cozy with these characters. They tried to microwave two seasons of Game of Thrones into 10 hours. Right. And as a result, I don't feel connected with anyone about anything. I mean, the two strong boys we haven't seen in four episodes. No, excuse me. No, we saw them last episode, episode nine. And then before that, maybe a little bit in episode six. You know, I don't remember what their names were. I still don't. And now we know one's a red shirt. So, okay. You know, so so I just it kind of makes me wonder. It kind of makes me wonder. Would this show be good a year from now, away from discourse? Like, like if you if you just miss this show and this cultural moment, right? Which it kind of makes me wonder. Are and this is a question I like. Maybe if you can answer it, I'd love to hear it. Are there any monocultural moments left, right, where everyone's kind of watching something? Because I don't feel this is one of those moments. I will say, I was at a wedding this weekend, and people said they watched the show and they they followed the podcast. So you know, I was doing work, and they were excited. They were following it, and they they one of the takes was, "This is so much better than the Rings of Power." I couldn't even finish that. Okay. You know, so my 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 field research, as I they would say, I don't know how I don't know how low the bar is for Rings of Power, <laughs> but but then again, most most of us are roughly twenty years removed from Lord of the Rings versus mm-hmm. four years from Game of Thrones. So it's easier to get back into the swing of things. I will say this. Did, did it feel good to look forward to Sunday night again? Absolutely. Right? Feels good Ooh-hoo. to look forward to Sunday night. I'm, I'm here for that. All right. Um, 
but the way we consume media is different now. We're a bin society. And my question is, you know, if, once we get away from people talking about it, is this still a good show? Will this, will this be a good show in like a year? It's, this is what I'll say. I think, you know, so I watch a lot of series shows and I read books, right? And I, I'm in this world. I also, I watch a lot of Bravo reality TV shows, right? Because I want different things. Like good dramas, they're like, you know, you have themes that kind of talk about the world that they're building. But, you know, if it's good, there's like, it kind of relates to our modern world. And, you know, seeing like stillbirths, right? Seeing women die in childbirth, seeing bad people do bad things, fighting for a throne and not caring about like the small folk is actually like objectively like not the greatest, right? It's kind of dark, but like I'm enjoying the human drama conflict. And then when I want to uplift my spirit, cause like that was like a harsh scene to watch, even though it's real, even though people have experienced that, you know, pain in the world, et cetera. But when that's too much for me, that's when I go watch some housewives. Spare me the woke nonsense. Like no, no, that's not woke nonsense. I'm saying, I'm saying, I watch different things for different reasons. And yet, this show is. Guess what? In the history of human beings, like in the medieval times, like England has eight King Charles. They were some of them were just really bad people that did really bad things all Dude, the time. There's witchcraft Isn't that true? Target. Miss me with that. So you're saying because it's witchcraft, it has to be happy all the time? Like King, no, I don't I know, King Charles the Seven. We we declared independence against them. The conversation is not about it being happy. Okay. What you're describing is what my issue is. It's not clear who they're trying to impress. Right. And because it's not clear, it seems there's breadcrumbs for everybody and food for nobody. That's my issue with this show. Okay. Game of Thrones ended, ended with Drogon burning the Iron Throne. And you can say symbolically, that's him choosing, like in Game of like in Lord of the Rings, that the ring is evil. The throne itself is evil and corrupts. So maybe this show is saying you have two sides fighting for the throne. And guess what? It's both bad because like fighting over the throne is a bad thing. And that's why it's unhappy. And that's why there's not humor in it. Because like, they're not even gonna destroy the great dead. They're just fighting over this evil thing. Whether, That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you, uh, notwithstanding the stakes, if you want people to enjoy your show, right? And be with you for 50, 70, 80 hours, right? You need to give us more than than a full tablespoon of reality because the world is awful let's let's be clear we're as we sit here talking right on the precipice of world war three on a planet that's boiling us alive right fantasy and sci-fi are our vehicles for escapism i don't go there to be reminded that people are terrible right and if I am going to watch a show that's a little close to the bone with a little flavor of some dragons and some some midwives and some other stuff that happens, you got to give me a little bit of a sweetener, right? Like, yes, I, look, I do like a little bit of sugar and almond milk in my cup of Earl Grey. Right? <laughs> and having some witty banter or well-written dialogue, right, is, isn't even considered a concession, it was a staple of Game of Thrones, which made it bearable in the backdrop of patricide, matricide, poison, you know, infanticide, and all the other things that goes with it, right? You look forward to the witty banter between the, the spider and Littlefinger. 
between the Hound and Tyrion, between the Hound and Bronn. You had characters between Jaime and, and his brother. You had things that reminded us that they're still beautiful pieces of being human, right? This is just a dark, moody show. And at times, it feels moody for moody's sake, right? And that's why, for me, this just isn't a good show. Because you mix that in with the incessant time skips so you don't connect to anybody. And then the shock and awe value, like it has as much blood as a slasher movie, right? And makes about as much sense. And as I was mentioning at the top of this rant, it's not clear who they're trying to impress. So everyone just kind of comes away still hungry. It's like going to dinner with your buddies, knowing you're going to hit Popeye's when you leave. The one thing I say is, as someone who does get queasy to television, I will admit it does have as much gore as a <laughs> slasher film. And every now and then, tonight especially, I had to turn around. But you know what? Moody for Moody's sake, teenagers exist, bro. So why not this show? Yeah, that, that's fine. And you know what? If I want to do that, then I'll go watch Vampire Diaries or Pretty Little Liars or something like that. Classics. All right. Shows. As um, we, like, you know what I mean. Yeah, As we wrap up, do we want to do winners and losers of the episode, winners and losers of the season, or let's do them all? All right. Of the episode, I gotta say, maybe I actually don't know who the. I think the unfortunate. I guess the winner of the episode might be the Lord Baratheon. Got him. Got his. Got his. One of his daughters betrothed. Okay, I would say Lord Corliss for a living. Lord Corliss for living. Yeah, we saved a little money in, in, in three episodes. Yeah, but he just went from fighting one six-year war to getting into another war, question mark. It's hard to be a winner when you're going from war to war. Well, he, he, he was able to totally be the absentee you know, husband and father, come back after six years and still get invited to the cookout. So, yeah, I would say Lord Corliss. Okay, you're right. Those are some good winners. That, that's that situation where Auntie's husband re- disappeared for ten years and had another family, but he's back now, and we're not supposed to say anything <laughs> while she parades around the cookout. Like, yeah, as people say, love is love is complicated. If it if it works for them, it works for me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the rumor. That's All the right. winner of the episode for me. Who's your loser? It's tough, you know. It's sad to see another. Sad to see dragons die. I think Arax. Hopefully, that's right. You know, only got to live for 13, 14 years. Well, Vagar's been alive for like, I think, two centuries. Dragons can live. Actually, we didn't get to it, but that scene and like Aemon not being able to control his dragon, it's like, damn. You got this character, you got this creature that might be the oldest living thing in this world, top five oldest things in this world. And you have like this 17 year old, 18 year old trying to like use it to torment his, his cousin. What are we doing here, guys? But. I gotta say, the loser is Arax. That baby dragon stood no chance and literally had maybe 200 years of life in front of them. I can't believe... <laughs> I can't believe you have Queen Rhaenyra, who lost her throne, lost her infant, lost her young... lost her middle... or second old, to oldest son, <laughs> lost an ally, and lost the love of her husband who choked her at work. <laughs> right? Not It's not the loser of the episode. It's the dragon. Well, they held <laughs> like, hands for two right. seconds, so I think the love of the husband's back. So that that yeah. that edged the dragon okay. just above her. So you're going with Rhaenyra as loser of the week. Yeah, 
I, I, I think I think she's far and away the loser of the episode. Loser of the se- loser of the series. So for me, loser of the se- season is the Song of Ice and Fire. Seems like no one cares. No one cares about the prophecy. It's so important. We know because no we have cares. hindsight, foresight. And it's an important prophecy, but no one cares. So that's got to be the loser. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> what, what about you? I, I, I agree with you in Song of Ice and Fire. And a strong second is Viserys. Because even in death, you're still messing people up. So definitely Viserys. That was rough. There's a Song of Ice rough. and Fire for sure. Um, Winners? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the maybe the high towers. They went from just like, you know, some people that get on the small counts every now and then. Only auto. Only auto. High Tower is the winner. The winner of the series, for sure. Yeah. He's the winner of the series. And I think the loser. We talked about the loser of the series as Song of Ice and Fire. I think the biggest loser are the fans of Game of Thrones. Tomato, I disagree. (laughs) I think we're the biggest. I mean, you know I, what? We are the losers. I think, look, I think this the season's over, and we the season's over. We're gonna have to wait so long for new content. So that's sad. Uh, yeah, maybe, or we'll have to go and watch good shows for a change, which would be nice too. All right, before we wrap up, anywho, um, I want to give you an idea. Yes. I want to give you an idea. Sure. Do you want to come back together? You know, we get some of our friends and family. We have a huge Kings moot, and we all discuss the season. Or maybe discuss what we think is happening next. I have like a war counselor ourselves. Or do you want to just move on to something else? I'm open to either one. Uh, I don't have a lot of friends or family, but uh, <laughs> we can certainly get it figured out for sure. Um, whatever we whatever we decide to do, I think will work. All right. All right. Well, this is this is a good chat, even though it got heated at times. Speaking to my speaking to my grand maester, or, or you know, I'll, I'll, well, you're the mace. You, yeah, the whisper, the keeper of secrets, and I'm gonna be the uh, the birds. I'll be your little birds. Hey. <laughs> but this is the fun, man. Appreciate you. Great, great pod. Great spending time. Fans, please reach out to us. Let us know what you prefer. Big War Council and slash or just a localized local like decision to go to another show. Let us know, please, in the comments. Otherwise, newsman Skip Stanford signing out. Peace. Peace.